0: Yes, 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 we're in the year of yes, and it doesn't. we're not talking about yes, because there's positive thinking, yes, anything I believe, enough is going to happen, it's going to happen, but there's the idea that God has made promises to people, and when God makes a promise, that's a yes. When God says yes, we have the opportunity to say yes in response to his yes. So it's different than positive thinking, it's different than the self-help sort of yes, But we want to discover some of those things that God says yes about. We're going to have lots of different mini-series within that larger theme of the year of yes in response to or in alignment with the text in 2 Corinthians 1.20 that Pastor Jeff introduced us to last Sunday. By the way, he gets lots of calls to go and speak at... uh, retreats and things. And that's where he is this week. And Pastor Jeff is down in Arizona speaking at a men's retreat. And I think he's finishing up today, Linda, and coming home today. So he's probably giving his last talk this morning, right about now. So don't forget to be praying for him today as he travels home. But he introduced us to this text in 2 Corinthians one 2 Corinthians one twenty, where it says, no matter how many promises God has made, no matter how many promises... They are yes in Christ. And we have that hashtag yes in Christ. We're focusing on that. And then there's our yes in response to his yes in that text. And so through him, the amen, which is the yes, yes indeed, is spoken by us to the glory of God. And we're carrying on with that idea, focusing on that idea, inviting us to remember the yeses that God offers And challenging ourselves to respond with our own yes. And the first little mini-series under this theme of yes in Christ is the idea of the promises of God. There are many promises of God. They're all yes. We're going to focus on four promises of God. And today is the first of those four. And it's the promise of a savior, the promise of a rescuer, the promise of a redeemer, the promise of a fixer, the promise of a mender, the promise of a guide, the promise of a savior is our focus today. There's an old joke that I doubt very many of you have not yet heard. That's why I decided to tell it today in my uh, introduction. I think everybody's got to have heard this joke by now. You know, it's the joke of the guy who's doing his morning run and he comes around a corner in the morning run and he encounters this rattlesnake all coiled up and ready to strike and he's running along the cliffs for the view. You heard this joke? Never. Heard it. He comes around, he sees the rattlesnake and he's shocked by the rattlesnake. The snake strikes at him and to get out of the way, he stumbles and trips and he falls over a 200 foot cliff. Have you still never heard it? Yeah, okay, then I'll just pretend I just made it up. So he falls over this 200-foot cliff, and on the way down to a certain death, on these sharp rocks at the bottom of the cliff, there's one bush. And he grabs out, and he grabs for this bush, and he's able to hold onto this bush. Now, have you still never heard it? He's holding onto the bush on the side of the cliff, 40 feet down from the cliff, 160 feet to the rocks at the bottom, no way out, nobody there to help him. So he does what many of us do when we're hanging off the side of a cliff, holding on to the only bush that can keep us alive. He looks up to God and he remembers a promise of God. And he says, God, are you up there? If you're up there, save me, help me. God, are you up there? And he has this voice come from heaven because that doesn't happen that often, does it? Voice comes from heaven. Yes, Ben, I'm up here and I'm going to save you. Here's what I want you to do, Ben. I want you to let go of the bush. And Ben looked up again and he said, is there anybody else up there? (laughs) you've you've, You've heard it now, okay, but that's an old joke. And this is when you all laugh and clap. Thank you very much because it's so good. You love me so much. Because my friend Victor's here, and I used to be funny when I was in high school. I don't want him to think I lost my stuff. But there are times when we don't laugh and clap and hoot. Because there are times in life when we actually feel like the snakes are real and they have real fangs with real poison. There are times in life when we're just living along and taking our morning run and we come around some corner and there's something there we weren't expecting and it lunges out at us and we fall over a cliff and there are times in life, when we don't laugh because we feel like we really are, holding on to the only bush that can save us. And there's no one there to help us, no one there to throw us a rope. And at those times, we call out, kind of like the guy in that story, God, are you up there? You promised to rescue me. You promised a Savior. You promised a Redeemer. You promised to pick me up to lend me a hand when I'm in situations like this. Won't you do it now? Those are the times when we don't laugh and clap and hoot. Those are the times when we pray just like that guy. We pray and we hope that this promise of a rescuer is a promise that God intends to keep. And sometimes we're not quite sure, are we? Have you ever prayed that prayer that I used to pray or still pray once in a while? The prayer that goes something like, um, pardon me, but I'm on your side. What's going on around me? I'm on your team. We're on the same team, right? You and me. You and What are you doing? Rescue me. Care for me. Swoop me up out of this mess. The promise of a rescuer, the promise of a liberator, the promise of a savior. It's a promise that we hope for every time we watch the news nowadays, isn't it? Not even thinking of your own life, but the world, all of humanity. Sometimes it seems like they're hanging from the side of some cliff, holding on to some bush and we're wondering if the roots aren't going to come out soon. God, when? Where are you? Is that a promise he's going to keep? And I simply want to remind us today That all the evidence in Scripture points to the fact that he, in fact, is still saying yes to that offer, to that promise. I will give you a Savior. I will give you someone to rescue and mend. All the evidence points to him keeping that promise. Because this, first of all, this isn't a brand new promise. This isn't something he thought up and it's only for the New Testament or only for our time. This promise of a Savior is actually a long-standing promise. All the signs point to him keeping it. One of them is that all the evidence, and one, some of that evidence comes from the fact that it's a long-standing promise. This is an ancient promise. His mind has been on this promise for a long time. In Genesis 3, there are some... Curses, some consequences named for humanity's decision to walk in a different direction than the direction God had intended. And one of the curses comes from the tempter, the serpent, in that story. And in Genesis 3, he makes this statement in the hearing of Adam and Eve. That's how old this promise of a rescuer is. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Genesis 3, 14 and following, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly. You'll eat the dust all the days of your life. And then this in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And then listen to this. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This idea of a rescuer, that comes and will come and crush the head of the servant, defang the snake. Adam and Eve heard that. That's a reference to this rescuer, this redeemer, this savior. Isaiah echoed it. You have in the, Isaiah chapter 53, we read that every year at Advent time. But you know, the context of Isaiah 53 is, Israel is exiled and they're wanting to get back to their own land. Man, how long will we be in bondage? Rescue us. In the context of that cry, the prophet starts answering their request and he starts talking Christmas. He starts answering the request for rescue and his answer is the Christmas story. We slip into that messianic language. It says in Isaiah 53, now this is all throughout Uh, Isaiah 53, but we'll just look at a few verses. Surely he took up our pain. He's talking the context about this rescuer in response to their cry for freedom long before Jesus was here. And bore our suffering, yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, clear messianic language, references to the cross. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You have Isaiah... Uh, echoing this promise of a rescuer long before the rescuer even touched down on earth. It's a long-standing promise. And then go over to the New Testament because we have this reference to David being connected, King David being connected with God's, God's answer to this promise. Acts chapter 13, uh, there's a recitation of his, uh, Israel's history. and In the middle of that, verse 22, after removing King Saul God made David their king, and God testified concerning David, I have found David, son of Jesse, man after my own heart. And then listen to this. He will do everything I want him to do from this man, David's descendants. God has brought to Israel the Savior, the Rescuer, the Redeemer, Jesus, just as he promised. So you have from the garden right up to David and beyond. This long-standing promise. All signs point to the fact that God hasn't forgotten his promise. The promise of defanging the snake, it would seem, has been on God's mind ever since the snake took its first breath, because it's so enmeshed with all of the biblical story. It's a long-standing promise that's been reiterated through history. Another reason all signs point to this promise being kept active and alive is not only is it a long-standing promise, but it's a fulfilled promise. According to Scripture, it's a a promise that's been kept already, been fulfilled. And Scripture makes it clear that the promise of a Savior was fulfilled in Jesus. So you have that, I'm going to send you a Savior that will crush the head of the snake, defang the snake. That's an long-standing promise. And then you have this fulfilled promise. It's fulfilled in Jesus. It's in the Christmas story. The angels announced it, this promise that was fulfilled in Jesus. In Luke, you have them saying, do not be afraid. They're saying to the the shepherds, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a what? A savior, a rescuer has been born to you. And who is he? He's the Messiah, the Lord. So the one that God has always promised to make evil disappear, to make bad things and broken things right and whole, is Messiah, and the angels announce him. And Jesus identified himself with that promise. Jesus understood that he was the fulfillment of that promise. In John chapter 4, he's having this conversation with the woman at the well, this Samaritan woman, used to being... Used to being um, uh, discounted, seen as invisible, really. He has this conversation, and she's baffled. She's there scratching her head, wondering about a lot of things. In the middle of the conversation, Jesus has gotten her attention, and she says, in response to one of his statements, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, John chapter 4. When he comes, he's going to finally explain everything to us. And then Jesus makes a declaration that clearly identifies Himself as the fulfillment of this promise of a rescuer, he says, "I, the one speaking to you, am He. I'm I'm that man. I'm the one you're looking for." In John chapter sixteen, listen to the rescuer, the assertive rescuer/slash savior language that comes from Christ's mouth. He says to his disciples, "I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. We all long for that." He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Some translations will say tribulation. But take heart, and then this conquering Savior language. Not I will, not I intend to, not I might have, but he says, I have overcome the world. He identifies himself as this rescuer, the one who throws us the rope. And After that, even the apostles affirmed that that's how they understood Jesus. He was the fulfillment of the promise. In 1 John 4, they say, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the rescuer, the Savior of the world. Anyone who acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they live in God. It's a long standing promise. All signs point to it being fulfilled. It's a fulfilled promise. Jesus identified himself as a fulfillment of that promise. You know, the snake will bite you and stop your heart and cause your wounds to swell up and even end your life. But the heel that crushes the head of the snake will rescue, restore, and give you life. That promised Savior is Jesus. His birth and his death and resurrection are a divine pledge kept. It's a long standing promise. It's a fulfilled promise. But lest we assume that that means it's long standing and already fulfilled, and we therefore have missed it, I'm here to remind you this morning that it's also a lingering promise. It's still an alive promise. The offer of a Savior rescuer still stands. Jesus saw that kind of seeking and rescuing as the purpose of his life. Luke chapter 19. I said in the first gathering, I got Nicodemus and Zacchaeus mixed up. This is Zacchaeus, and Jesus is walking into Jericho, and he meets Zacchaeus, this tax collector that was discounted by everybody. Nobody invited him to the dinner. Nobody invited him on vacation with them. But he's still curious in Jesus. I love this what it looked to everybody uh, what it looked like was going on in Zacchaeus's life on the outside was far different than than the reality on the inside inside he was actually very spiritually hungry and Jesus is the only one that recognizes that and Jesus comes and he sees the responsive heart of Zacchaeus and in response Jesus says today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. So Zacchaeus is restored. But then listen to what Jesus says about his purpose in that context, about the purpose of life as he sees it, the purpose of his life. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, to seek and to to rescue the left out, to go look for and re-embrace the discounted, the fringes, the silent, the least likely to belong. By the way, sermon, stop the tape for a second. Let me just step to the side and remind us. If the purpose of Christ was to engage with anyone who was least likely to belong, God forbid that the church have some other purpose. God protect us from being so concerned with vetting who comes through those doors and is allowed to be a part of us that we actually circumvent the very purpose of the master of the church. The church ought to be a place. The church ought to be a community where the people with whom you disagree the most feel the most love and welcome. Welcome does not mean compromise, kindness, is not a sacrifice of truth. Actually, the opposite is true. For us to say, you can come in, you can come in, you can come in, you're out, you're still too filthy, dirty, you're out, you stink, you're out, you voted the wrong way. (laughs) That's the compromise of scripture. So our challenge is we're engaging with the spiritually hungry toward a life in Christ that's what inspired and what? Intelligent and involved. You've gotta be willing to think well Teach well. Lead your families well in order to be that faithful. Because we're moving into a huge mess culturally. But we're not going to lock our doors to take care of the mess. Shoot. Come on. We're part of the mess. Jesus' purpose in life was to seek and to save what was lost. He didn't go to the store where the toys were already boxed up. He used to go where they were broken and like to put them back together again. And so should we. Well, it's a, it's a lingering promise, and Jesus saw that as the purpose of his life. And it's the claim of Christ. It's the purpose of Christ, but it's also the claim of Christ, this idea of a Savior. Jesus challenges his followers, his disciples, to follow him. And then Thomas says to him in John 14, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Because Jesus said, you know the way, let's go. We don't even know where you're going, how can we know the way? And that's where that famous statement of Jesus comes. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is it, this is the path. I'm the light that shows you the path. I'm the path, I'm the gateway. I'm the way, the life, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this purpose of Jesus is to seek those who are disenfranchised, those whose relationship with God is broken, which is all of humanity and lead them to reconciliation with their creator. And Jesus said, the only way for that to happen is through me. And man, I'm all over that. I'm, I'm here to pull you up over the, up from over the cliff. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So it's the claim of Christ, this lingering promise it's the purpose of Christ, to seek and save. It's the claim of Christ. And you know what? It's still the offer of Christ. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Come to me, everybody who's lost their breath. Life has been kicking them around, and they feel like there's something missing, there's something Aching, there's some yearning. Even if everything else is going really well and you still think, oh, is that all there is? Is that it? There's got to be more. Jesus says, come to me, I'm the more you're looking for. Hey, it rhymes. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you... He promises what we all long for. Calm. peace. Rest, the absence of anarchy in your heart, the absence of turmoil in your heart, the abs- absence of all this chaos. a Calm, shalom would be the Jewish word. Everything fits together the way it was designed to fit together. Your gears are going to find their notch and their place. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls there. My yoke, he says, is easy. My burden is light. And in that statement, Jesus implies something that's true. It's a lingering promise. But it's a promise that's only relevant because of a presupposition he makes. The presupposition is of Christ, this is the way he sees life, is that everybody is wearing some sort of yoke. There's nobody truly free and independent. Christ's understanding of humanity is this. Every human being is linked to somebody's yoke. The trick is to be wise enough to choose a yoke that fits you well. That's what he means when he says, my yoke is easy. It could be translated, my yoke won't rub you raw. It fits you. It's custom made for you. I designed you. There's really true freedom when you align yourself with me. Follow my teachings. Adopt my purpose. Join me in this task, Jesus could say of confronting everything that's broken and giving people a taste of wholeness. That's really what we're talking about when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done now on earth as it is in heaven. It's a long-standing promise. It's a good promise, this promise of a Savior. It's a fulfilled promise. It's fulfilled in Jesus. But folks, don't miss the fact that it's a lingering promise. It's still out there to be taken. To be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian, is a decision to align with him. The old school words are to receive him as your Savior. They're still good words. To say, all right, I'm in. Reconcile me. And then let's get on with this purpose in life. The consequences of sin, the scripture says, the outcomes of walking in a direction other than the direction God has for us, is separation from him. That makes sense. We create distance. The Bible calls it death, but that's what death is, separation from the presence of God. But the scriptures are also clear, and Jesus was clear, that we can choose a different outcome because God keeps his promises the outcome of what I call yielded alignment with Jesus is abundant life, eternal life, killer life. He promised humanity a Savior. And when we say yes to the idea that we need a Savior, God says yes to the idea that we can have one. There's his yes and our yes colliding into a great, big, breath of yes. Just a reminder that Jesus is still responding to anyone who will reach out to him for help. Anyone who says, are you up there? His answer is, I'm here. In fact, I'm not up there. I'm hanging on the bush with you. Let's go from here.